Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be focusing on a doctor who shares psychic and spiritual stories of healing. My guest is Rod Schalberg, a physician who has practiced medicine for over 25 years. He was a medical director for a hospital, nursing homes, and hospice. Now he is an adjunct faculty member in the Biomedical Engineering Program at the University of Maine. He also assists people with spiritual guidance, lectures on topics of mysticism, and a course in miracles. He is author of When God Calls, Say Yes, A Physician's Experience of Mystical Guidance. Rod is located in Bangor, Maine. Now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Rod. It's such a pleasure to be with you on New Thinking Aloud today. Hello, Emmy. Thank you so much for having me on your New Thinking Aloud program. This is really helping me to share my experiences that are rather unique with a lot of people. So I want to thank you for creating this program and again for having me on it. You have been a physician for over 25 years. In fact, you and I even share a background of having worked at the same hospital, Abbott Northwestern, here in Minneapolis. Correct. Yes, I trained in internal medicine and um, ICU medicine, hospital medicine at Abbott Northwestern. Uh, that was back in 88 to 91. So it's a nice hospital. When did you first discover that you had psychic and spiritual gifts? Well, it started after I had, in second grade, I had a very bad strep infection that went into my kidneys and shut it, shut my kidneys down. So I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And during that time, I had what's called a near-death experience. I had an allergic reaction to penicillin, which was the antibiotic they were treating me with. And what happened was I stopped breathing. My lungs just tightened up and I tightened up. So at the moment, I was in second grade, about seven, eight years old. And I started to close down. Everything became black. And I thought, I'm going to die. And this fear of death came to me. Well, everything became black. I couldn't see anything. What happened is this pinpoint of light came and the light started to get brighter. I started to float up out of my body and go towards that light. And it got brighter and brighter. Fear left me, and I was left with a feeling like I'm going home. I'm going back to where I belong. Halfway there, I was suddenly pulled back into my body and didn't know what happened, but I started breathing again. It started moving air. It was the most profound experience that I had. And I just thought it was a dream. And I didn't realize that I had several divine gifts planted into me. So one of the gifts was the psychic ability that they talk about of seeing colors on people. So I could see three colors on your heart. I could see red, green, and blue. I didn't know what that meant, and my friends certainly didn't see colors. Later in life, I learned that red is divine love. Blue is divine creativity, and green 
is uh, divine life. So they're all aspects of the divine that I could see. I didn't do anything with that gift for a long time. I just let it go. My friends didn't see them. And they thought maybe I was a little crazy. So being one that wants approval, I let them go. The second gift that I was given was the ability to leave my body at will and, and float up out. And um, my first few trips were around the bedroom. But then later I went around the farm. And then finally I found that I could travel all the way to Paris, which is something I wrote about in my book, that experience. Again, at that time, after the Paris trip, I suppressed that and stopped working with it. That gift was going to reappear later in life. Then the third gift I had was that feeling of oneness, connectivity. There's something more to life than just this body. And I experienced that in the near-death experience where I'm going home. Now that I came back, I found that if I could sit in the chair, I could recreate a lot of this peace. I didn't see the light, but I saw the peace. Later in life, after some study and meditation, I went into that hole, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that was my first experience. As I went through life, um, I got into medical school in 84, finished in 88. I always had this feeling, starting an internship, of a presence. There's a, there's a presence right here, and it's very comforting. What was interesting is I started to see colors again. I could see your heart, which is red, by the way. Um, I see green on me, but I could see colors on people. And I thought that was interesting. It's not everybody, but people who are very spiritual have colors with them. Then I started to see auras on people. And I thought, this is interesting. What is this? I, I had no idea. And I could see black. I could see light gray, white, and clear. So one time I was at a theater with um, my wife. And we were in the theater watching this. And I was being a little cocky. And I said, you see that guy over there? She goes, yeah. I said, he's got a black aura. He's going to die in six months. Mm. She grabbed my arm and said, that's my uncle. Oh, my gosh. And I went, good one, Rod. <laughs> After that, I decided not to tell people anymore when I saw that. But it became a very nice guide in medicine because I could tell when somebody was going to leave because I would see that black aura. So that was the first thing that, that I started noticing coming back to me is seeing the colors. In the ICU where I trained, um, I could always tell when somebody was going to leave. Somebody's on a ventilator. I have them on life-saving medicines, antibiotics. There's this man, I don't know his name, but he was in the throes of death, and he had multi-system failure. And I looked at him, and his entire body was covered in that black shroud. And I started to see him, his white in spiritual aura, say, I want to go. How does that happen? I don't know. I didn't know at the time. I ended up extubating him after I talked to the family. We're all in agreement. We extubated him, stopped all the medicine, and he had a very smooth transition. So the first sense that I got after that near-death experience and later in life 
is being able to feel a presence, starting to hear, starting to see that they came a little bit later. But this is the early stages of knowing that there's more to life than just you and me looking at each other. And that's what I was starting to experience in my first year. Mm-hmm. So as I went along, then it got a little more interesting. I always had this strong intuition. I always knew it was wrong with people. This one man came in into a, an urgent care that I was working at, and he had abdominal pain, and he was really angry. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I asked him what was wrong. He told me about his abdominal pain. He'd seen all these doctors and specialists, and nobody could figure it out. And I said, hmm, lay down on the table. And I took my finger, and I was guided by intuition. I put it into his belly button, and I pushed up. And he came flying off the table, just screaming in pain. He said, what did you do? And I said, well, sit down. I said, you have a ventral hernia, and your gut is starting to tear apart. You need a, you need what's called a mesh. He got mad and argued. I've seen all these doctors. So I put my finger back in and pushed. He began to scream. He says, okay, stop doing that. And I said, okay, stop arguing with me. So he went back a couple weeks later. He'd seen his doctor. Sure enough, he had a ventral hernia. That was repaired. So you're starting off gradually with a feeling, a presence. And then you're starting to get this subtle intuition where I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, what's wrong with you. In time, as I continue to work in the ER, these are a lot of times life and death situations. This is when the voice is the clearest to me. This man was brought in, and this doctor called me and said he had a colonoscopy yesterday, and he's lightheaded, he fell down. Just can you give him some fluids and tank him up? I said, sure, that sounds really easy. So I brought the man in. He's happy. He's chatty. His wife is there. And everybody's, oh, this is easy. We'll give him a liter of fluids. So I gave him the fluids. And his pressure, when I initially checked him, he was 70. That's critical. No wonder he's passing out. The pressure should be about 120. So I gave him a liter of fluids. And his pressure went up. Beautiful. And all of a sudden, it went down. Now, something's wrong. And the voice the divine voice, I'm getting comfortable hearing this voice very clearly telling me what to do. And the voice said, look in his eyelids. Now, this is a test we generally don't do, but this is it right there. It was sheet white. The next thing the voice said is do a stat trauma CT scan on this man. And by the way, run. I don't have any clue, but I just ordered this. And the nurses and the people and the patient are looking at me. What is wrong with you? We ran down the hall and got into radiology. We did the trauma CT scan. They took him back. We don't know what Chalberg's thinking, but obviously there's something going on. So I look at the CT with the radiologist. He said, there's nothing here. And I said, really, what's all this light gray stuff? He goes, that's blood. He scanned and he found that the patient had a ruptured spleen and it was cracked in half. He's dying literally in front of us. We have maybe half an hour at best. So I ran back into the ER. We got blood going. I called the trauma surgeon, took out his spleen, saved his life. So these are the kind of stories 
and it's not just limited to the ER, but I'll keep my stories in this realm. One more, um, a 40-year-old woman comes in, and she was in the garden planting, having a great day, had the bib overalls on, typical manor, and covered in mud, happy. But she started having point tenderness right, right here on her rib. And she thought, I don't know, but I think I'm going to call 911. So she did. The paramedics get there, and they're talking to her, and she's laughing. It just hurts when I press right there. Okay, well, let's, you know, you call this. Let's just take you to the ER. So everybody comes in, they're laughing and joking, no big deal. And the nurse says, well, she's gardening. She's got a pulled chest muscle. She probably tore it, popped a rib. So everybody's getting happy, and, and Christ in that moment said, tell the ambulance crew to stop. Do not leave. They did not do a heart tracing like they're supposed to do. They stopped. I said, do not leave. And then I told the nurses, I said, do a stat EKG right now. And they're all looking at me like, what is wrong with you? She has no cardiac symptoms, no risk factors. She looks great. Why are you doing this? And I said, because. Just do it. So they did the 12 lead, and I looked at it, and this is one of the most lethal-looking EKGs that you can see. It's called a tombstone EKG. There's no more QRS complex. It's all like the old cemetery tombstones. I've got 90 minutes now to keep this woman alive. So I showed it to all the nurses and the paramedics. Got rid of the laughter. We started the rescue medicines and the rescue protocols. She was taken to Eastern Maine, um, the trauma center, and ended up having bypass surgery. Saved her life. Didn't do any labs, didn't do any real exam, except I touched her chest. But immediately I was guided, do a 12 lead, tell them to stay. And it saved her life. So that's just one of many stories that I can share with you. But it's about during this growing process, you first feel, then you hear. The next sense that comes along is the ability to see. And by what that I mean, I see you. But in certain cases, I could see what was wrong inside the body. So, for example, this young uh, 13-year-old lady was brought in by mom with right lower quadrant pain. And she was seen in another ER and put on antibiotics and said, well, you just have a pelvic infection. And the mother said, can you do a second opinion? And in that instant, I'm listening to the mother, but I could see the appendix and it was inflamed, ready to burst. When you burst an appendix, you've got purulent material into the abdomen. And now it's a fight to keep you alive. like to avoid that. Huh. I did the CT scan, and sure enough, she had acute appendicitis, and we immediately got the surgeon involved. If I had sent her home and that had ruptured, I have taken care of people who have had acute appendicitis and it ruptured. It's a lot of work to keep them alive in the ICU because you get a belly full of infected material. There's a story, um, this lady later after ER, um, she was, I was doing hospice work. I'm going to go off on a tangent if you don't mind for a second. But she had metastatic um, pancreatic cancer and decided that's it, I'm done. I started to talk to her. I went to her house, talked to her, talked to her family, and 
I started to see into her this big black area. I could see the cancer and I could see it peppered through her whole body. So we talked about that, that scene. You get this secondary vision. It's an, I call it spiritual vision, but it's up here where I see things that's superimposed on somebody. And my greatest um, example that is kind of, um, it's in my book. People have probably heard this story before, but an 80-year-old lady came in and she was in cardiac arrest. We were doing CPR on her. I took over the care of this lady, ran the code for another 20 minutes, and she was in asystole flatline for about 20 minutes. I called the code and I said, she's done. She's out of here. And it's been my habit in the ICU and, and in treating with patients, especially at the end of their life, I like to hold their hand up to my chest. And I was, I was raised Catholic, so I would do the Lord's Prayer. My thought as a physician, my last job is to pray for this person and ask on their behalf that they be taken home to heaven, the divine, whatever you want to call it, but lifted out of this realm. Well, that, that, that was always a very pleasant thing to do. And I always ask permission first with the family if they're around. So I studied A Course in Miracles for quite some time and did meditation, started to learn to quiet my mind. On this particular case, it was very profound for me. I said, I wonder what will happen if I ask Christ to come. Because the Course is always saying that. Well, in that instant, the entire ER turned a white light, scintillating white light. Her aura left her body. She sat up. And as clear as I can see you, only you're all white, glasses. And she looked at me and said, thank you. On, on the left side, this brilliant red bead of light came and took and melded with her and they became one. Then they went across my visual field. And I looked over on this side, on my right side, and there was these beautiful golden doors that opened up. And they went up into this. And these beautiful arms came out and just brought them all in. And the door shut. I was stunned. What was that? And I felt tremendous love, tremendous peace. And I decided I just witnessed the birth into heaven of this individual. And it's what I could think of because I've delivered babies and this is infinitely more pleasant to me. That has become for me, uh, I call it the process birthing into heaven. And it, I have seen this so many times when my dad died, when this lady Polly died, when Sandy died, patient died of a suicide, patient died of a, a car accident. Every time that I have called, that divine love has come. And I get to see this beautiful merging just going off. So spiritual sight is what you're starting to gain as you get closer and closer. And we can go on with lots of examples of that. Those are incredible stories. How do you feel you started having these experiences or why do you think this naturally started to evolve for you? 
I, I personally, I shut it down in second grade out of fear of rejection from my friends. And the reason it came back is because I started to study spiritual literature. I was reading the Bible, Silent Unity, Eckhart Tolle. Um, and then I got hooked on a course in miracles, which is an independent self-study course. It's not a religion. It's a, just a course. And then I remembered, oh yeah, meditation. I really enjoyed that. So I would read literally four hours on Sundays and then meditate for an hour. I learned to quiet my mind. And that's very important on this process to quiet your mind because then the divine can speak to you. In all these situations and stories I've told you, what I didn't tell you is in all of them, I learned to be very quiet. So when I'm praying, I'm quieting my mind and I'm allowing that divine to come through. In crisis situations, a man comes in. He was involved in a motor vehicle accident. And he's all banged up. And it's frantic activity like you see on TV, all the drama and, and insanity. And I, I'm the conductor of all this. I stand at the foot of the bed and tell people what to do and whatnot. And I'm looking, I'm looking at this man and I make it my habit now just to move this way. And right here is an empty spot. And I say, that's where God is. And then I say, what does God have to say? And it would immediately say, we are peace. This man is going to be fine. And the whole ER would just settle down. It's the most amazing thing to see and feel the insanity of the noise just quiets down. And we're having a nice civil conversation like this. Well, the patient picks up. If they're not upset and afraid, what do I have to be afraid of? So I would always make it a point of touching someone's hand and just telling them everything's fine. And that divine love just flows through. So the, the Course in Miracles was the stepping stone for me to unlearn what I was taught to learn that there's more to life than just the body. Learning meditation allowed me to quiet my mind so that I could hear the divine. Mm -hmm. It's very important that you have to create a quiet time because if you just chat, 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 and chat, 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 God's going, what can I do? I can't talk to you. So, and it's really scary sometimes. There was um, a lady who came in with a very rapid heart rate. And she was very uncomfortable, not having a heart attack, but just a very rapid heart rate. So we said, okay, I, I, I put her to sleep and I gave her a drug that literally stops your heart. Now that gets interesting. I'm going to stop your heart now so it can reset itself. So we gave her the drug and we're watching the monitor. It shuts down. She's in asystole. Normally people wake up at 10 seconds, 15 seconds. At 15 seconds, she's still flatline. Now we're starting to get twitchy. At 20 seconds, she started to come back and immediately went back into this super fast rhythm. I said, well, the voice said, okay, double the dose. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she was in asystole for a long time. I uh, told the nurse, double the dose, let's try it again. They have to understand there's family members, there's nurses, and they're like, are you sure you want to do this? But I felt that presence of security of knowing 
when you hear that voice, there's no doubt. She got the dose, and she's now, at 20 seconds, she's still in asystole. We're getting real twitchy. And the nurse is saying, Rod, you got to do something. And I said, I am. I'm doing nothing. Didn't go over real well. At 30 seconds, boom, her heart rate came back into perfect normal sinus rhythm. So we woke her up, and she said, that was the most pleasant experience I've ever had. Hmm. I said, yeah, we stopped your heart for 30 seconds. <laughs> the husband was pacing. The nurses were pacing. I'm just, that's all right. Don't worry about it. So learning to quiet your mind and listen and and to be at peace in pretty dire circumstances, pretty amazing. But you get very comfortable. The more you practice this and do it, the easier it gets. Mm -hmm. This woman said that it was the most pleasant experience she had. Did she elaborate on her experience? We we assumed um, that it was medications that I used to put you to sleep. But I knew she connected with the divine and felt that divine presence. She had a glow about her that her aura changed from kind of dark to a bright white. So I knew that she was touched. She didn't talk about a near-death experience, but that doesn't matter. She still, in that quiet state, there's no heartbeat. That really shuts your brain down. It allows your mind to be expanded. So everybody attributed it to the drugs, but I knew it was the drugs and being touched by the divine. That's like extreme meditation, and these are, <laughs> these are tricks you can't try at home. <laughs> no, no. I would not suggest that. Some of the criticism of psychic gifts are that people are simply hallucinating. And when you talk about hearing voices, how do you distinguish what is Christ or God versus maybe just your own mind speaking to you? Well, it's an, actually um, a good question and a very simple answer. The, um, because people would come in and say, I'm hearing voices and I'm seeing God. And they're crazy. They're schizophrenic. We tend to lock them up. The difference is the voices are telling them to hurt people. The voices are misleading. When the divine speaks, you know there is no doubt in your mind. If there's doubt, should I buy this car? Should I not? That's ego. When the divine talks, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you're given the strength to order labs that people think, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it that way? Because I know there's a very, once you've had that experience of I know, that revelation of I know, that the doubt is gone. You will never ask this question again. So it gets that strong. And for you, you had many opportunities to listen to that voice or to those feelings and intuition and then acted out based on your own medical background and training and clinical judgment. And then those experiences validated for you and they proved to you that they were legitimate. Correct. I learned that I could trust this voice and that I wasn't crazy. It is difficult to order an EKG on a woman that has no true cardiac symptoms. It's difficult to order a cardiac enzyme on a kid. But when God tells me to do something, I do it. There is no doubt in your mind. 
How do you define or describe God? That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's how do you describe the infinite? It's when I'm in that space, it's I am a thought. I'm no longer a concept of a body. There's no time, there's no space. There's just infinite mind. I am in that. What I feel is tremendous love, tremendous quiet, tremendous peace. The only word in the English language is awe. Probably the best I can do. And at that line of spirituality and humanity, it's like oil and water. They just don't mix. So you have unlimited, infinite love, which is what you really are, putting limits on it in the form of a body and words. It just doesn't work. I can use all the adjectives I want, and they're all wrong. Because you have a different de definition of love than I do. You've had different experiences. God, the divine, is one. I am one. I and my Father are one. Okay. So look at it this way. I have eaten an orange. You have not. I'm trying to tell you how wonderful it is to eat an orange. It's sweet. It's juicy. It's got this pretty color, especially when it's cool. And you're going, right, that's really nice. Now you bite that orange and go, I really like this. Now we have a shared language of I know. I have the experience. I, I can do the best I can talking to you about the experience. But unless you've been in that state, you, you, you won't understand. And that's where science and spirituality kind of go bang. If you're on one side or the other, many people now are starting to ascend and wake up. They have the ability to cross that bridge and go into spirituality and then come back into this. But awe is probably the best word I can give you. It's, it's just not possible to define the infinite. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the ER or in the ICU or helping people now, you know when that presence arrives for you and you can listen to it and trust it. Correct. The, the presence is always there. Do I listen to it? That's the question. And when I'm in the ICU, that's when I make this decision that I'm going to be quiet now and stop thinking and just allow I'm going to get my ego out of the way and just allow, in essence, I'm going to step back and let divine power go in front of me. As I get older, I walk in that presence all the time, and it just breaks everything peaceful. But initially, it's practice. It's I have to ask. Okay, did you want to tell your, your wallet story? It's just a story where I, I couldn't find my wallet, and I asked the divine. He said, it's upstairs in your pants from yesterday. So it doesn't always have to be trauma. It can be simple things. Right. Simple, practical God applications. Is always, God is always talking to me. He's always available. And if I learn to listen, he'll guide me to what I need. You yourself had a health event that affected your ability actually to practice as a physician. Correct. In um, 2016, I had, I was driving, I had a massive stroke. I was driving from one nursing home to another and the whole world tipped. And I went from the right lane to the left lane, hit the rumble strip. And what was that? 
so I drove to work. I thought it was a low blood sugar. By the time I got to work, I couldn't walk very well. I couldn't talk. Um, this left arm was hanging at my side. And my nurse said, I think you're having a stroke. And all I could do was nod my head because I know the signs and symptoms of a stroke. And I could see the progression. Anyway, I got in into the ER and they did a, a CT scan and found that I had what's called a pontine stroke. So at the very top of your spinal cord, there's the brain stem. The top of that, like a crystal ball, is your pons. So you've got this part of your brain is a computer, and, and the back of your brain is another computer, and they hook together in the pons. So a very critical area got hit. Now, I was in a window where they give this medication called TPA. It's a clot-busting medicine. I'm in bed. My right side is now paralyzed. My left face is just hanging, and I'm drooling. I've got pocker while. So the nurse came in, and first the doctor came, and he said, your labs are all fine. And he told me what the labs were. Well, my blood count was not fine. My blood count was 18, should be normal. My blood count was 11. Critical is 8. So I'm thinking, where did all that blood go? That's one to two quarts of blood. I knew at that point, I was on a um, medication for arthritis, for osteoarthritis, and um, they cause ulcers, and you bleed. You bleed internally, slow, slowly. I knew I had an ulcer, and the ER doctor never did a rectal exam to check for blood. He's, and so he told the neurologist, everything's fine. So the neurologist ordered TPA, and I went, big mistake. So... The nurse said, this is really going to make you feel good. <laughs> I'll bet. And I can't talk and say, you're making a mistake. I know I'm bleeding, and you just gave me a major league blood thinner. What do you think that's going to do to a bleed? It's going to accelerate it. In my experience, I've had people die giving TPA. And usually they die within 10 minutes. So it's a scary high-risk drug. I, I'm laying there and I thought, there's nothing I can do. So I just surrendered and I relaxed and I said, okay, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in the next 10 minutes. So I started to watch the clock, tick tock, tick tock. And at two minutes, the entire ER turned into scintillating, beautiful white light. And it was just very pleasant. And I thought to myself, if this is what it's like to die, this is really nice. It's so peaceful and comforting. It stayed in white light for eight minutes because I was watching the clock. Then a voice came and said, you are protected. You will go home. And I agreed with that voice. And I said, in my mind, it is my intention to walk out of this hospital tomorrow. That was my intention. I did not have a massive bleed. I survived that. Later in the evening, I started walking. And the nurses didn't want me to walk. So I kept hitting the alarm button every 15 minutes. And my speech came back. And I started walking. They're going, that's not possible. Then I said, I want to be discharged tomorrow. They said, that's not possible. It works very well just to keep hitting the alarm buttons. They get annoyed. <laughs> I was discharged the next day. So I still had deficits. 
but I felt so free and liberated. I was touched again by the divine. I knew I was divinely protected. And I got to see it with that spiritual vision as white light. Well, it took three years to recover. I lost my memory, my ability to calculate. I still had profound weakness on my right side. So I did the rehab and the training. But after two years of not practicing medicine, the medical board said, what are we going to do with you? And I decided to retire my license because I didn't trust my memory. I kept writing the wrong. Uh, when I did practice writing scripts, they were wrong. And I thought, I don't want to hurt somebody by giving them too much of a medicine. So I retired um, my license. So I now call this a stroke of good luck. What it has allowed me to do is to write this book and start reaching out, talking to people about these experiences, helping other doctors who have had these similar problems or, quote, problems. I'm not crazy. What I saw maybe is real. And, and now I'm doing podcasts with people like you helping me. I'm coming out of the spiritual closet, as they say, and I've self-diagnosed myself as having divine schizophrenia because I see and hear what other people don't, and I'm okay with it. I totally trust the beauty of what I'm seeing, and I'm comfortable seeing people who have passed away. I'm comfortable seeing orbs. I'm comfortable with all of it, and it's just anything we can do to decrease the fear in people if they're sick or whatever problem, if they're dying, and bring them peace. That's that's our job. That's what we're doing now. That's my job. So I tell people I work for God now. Mm -hmm. Not only did you have a significant stroke, you were bleeding, and then you were given a medication to have you actually essentially bleed more, and then... You, so it, and it was as though you had a miracle happen where you had three strikes against you, major ones, and then you were able to walk out of the hospital. Yes. That medicine is a, called a clot buster. So I had a blood clot, an embolic stuck in my blood vessels, which you suppose this medicine dissolves them, which is great, but it also dissolves the clotting factors that keep you from bleeding. So, why didn't I bleed to death? I should have. Yeah. I had colonoscopy um, several weeks later, and I did have a bleed. I had a bleeding ulcer, and they um, burned it with a laser. And they're like, you should be dead. It was, it was like a half-inch ulcer. That's a good size. Your cognition from what I can tell, having a conversation with you seems quite intact. Have you found that your memory has returned? Most of it. Um, I was in, in the hospital the other day, and this man walked up to me, and I started to get excited. I said, I know you. I know I know you, but I don't know your name. And he looks and goes, Rod, it's Bob Craven. We worked together for three years. And I went, now I... Now I know you. So a lot of the brain is plastic, and it can remodel and reheal and create new connections. So there was a dead spot over here, and the memory associated with it came back. So as right now, it's, it's almost 100%. My, 
my speech is much clearer. I can calculate and write the right prescriptions. I'm just past the window of going back in. So I chose a new career path. Yeah, definitely. And just to be clear, people who typically have the kind of stroke you had, what percentage tend to make a full recovery from that type of stroke? It all comes down to timing. You've got three hours. That's it. If it's past three hours, the medicine won't work. So adjacent to me was a 55-year-old man who also had a pontine stroke. Oh, wow. And waited too long. In He was permanently paralyzed on his right side. They were talking about breathing assist nursing home for the rest of his life. So you, you don't have a lot of time. Three hours is, is about it to make this work. A lot of people think it's a low blood sugar or it's just I'm tired, and they don't realize how bad this can be. In addition to connecting with God, Christ, do you also experience angels? I do. Um, I, I work, I see in my mind archangels Raphael, Uriel, Michael, I've seen uh, Mother Mary in Christ. Sometimes I've seen Gabriel. Well, that was a long time ago, but usually it's Raphael, Michael, and Uriel. Those are the angels I see. I have not seen other angels, but I have seen orbs around people. And I know those are thoughts of love. Those are thoughts of angels. I have seen deceased uh, loved ones come back. So, for example, my dad died, and I was there at the bedside, and all there was seven white, different height auras there. And I thought, who are you guys? Well, for just a moment, I, the, the tallest one, I said, that's Uncle Vernon. This is your family. They've all come back to help you cross over and transition back into love. And after dad transitioned, I was reading A Course in Miracles, I Rest in God, and I saw his aura standing right next to me. He was radiant with joy and just gave me so much joy. I wasn't sad anymore. I was so happy. Loved ones um, in the nursing homes or in hospice that die, I've seen spouses come back, like their, their husband or their wife. There's a young woman, not maybe not young, She's in her 60s. She died of a brain cancer. And I was with her. And I said, how come you're not going home? And she said, because I'm waiting for my mom and dad. I don't want them to get lost. So I'm going to wait here. They just turned. They had their 95th birthday not too long ago. But there's no concept of time in the eternal. So that's, and there's other stories. But I think you get the point. Angels are all around us. They're in the form of loved ones. They're in the form of divine spirit, divine Christ, whatever you want to call it, Buddha. Um, I just grew up in a traditional Catholic religion. So that's my frame of reference. Um, but you're always surrounded by love. It's just we can't see them. Mm -hmm. You have also been a medical director in nursing homes and hospice. What are some of the experiences you've had there with 
people who are at end of life? I've had, this may sound really bad, but I think my worst day I had five people die on me in one day. Hmm. And it's like, what kind of a doctor are you? <laughs> but um, what's nice is at the end of life, I can tell the transition, how fast they're transitioning, but a lot of medical things. And I've seen a lot of people leave. And it's always with divine love. There was a lady, 93, that was starting the spiral of death process. She was, she had pneumonia and the family was torn apart. And I said, you know, let's just do a Hail Mary pass. We're going to give antibiotics, steroids, and inhalers. I said, if you don't do this, this is going to haunt you the rest of your life. We should have done this. We should have done that. Anything I can do to decrease the fear in the family and then in the patient is what I do. The next day, it was clear that she wasn't going to make it, so we stopped everything. She left it too in that afternoon. It is really important to be at peace when you pass away. So all these people that have died, um, I made sure they were comfortable. The, the, the chaplains, I would invite chaplains in, rabbis, friends, and the loved one felt that support. They had peace. And my job is then to say, okay, I ask for divine help. And the divine help always comes. You can ask for that for a loved one and say, please help my, my friend be at peace and go home. We can all do that. Just we're taught to go to church and pray, but it's in your heart and you let that love out. So that same tech methodology works in every situation. And it doesn't matter if it's a quote a bad person or quote a good person. Once that body's laid down and they're at peace, they return to their divine essence of love. And we just want them to go home. It did uh, nursing homes and medical director for four or five years, Beacon Hospice, um, almost two years. And I made it a point of going to people's houses and being with them and getting rid of that fear. You've also had experiences of when a person passes that you have assisted them on their journey in the afterlife. The assistance mostly is asking the divine to come in. Roger was a man who had end-stage liver cirrhosis from drinking. Broken family, broken everybody, fought, fought, fought. And he was dying. And he said, I just want help to let this go. And I want to read you something because it's really pretty. Roger held my hand and, and at the bedside late at night in the middle of Maine, winter. And the wife, Margaret, is over here. And by the way, I have their permission to talk about this. Um, so I said, I, Roger, said, repeat this, I, Roger. And he said, I, Roger, I forgive myself. And basically that was the gist. He started to forgive himself. He started to shake and rattle. And he started crying uncontrollably and turned to Margaret and said, I am so sorry. I was stuck. Now I'm unstuck and I see you. What happened next, if you don't mind, just a quick poem. Sure. 
this divine voice gave me a message for Roger. And it's, it's called Roger's Prayer. And it says, out of love, you were born free to create and explore this life. And now it is time to return to spirit, to love and to peace. Forever are you sinless and free of guilt, for I have loved you always. The memories of your life will end with this body and trouble you no more. Your light will shine again because you are still one with me. That brought Roger tremendous peace. Margaret, tremendous peace. Afterwards, he passed away. She said, I fell in love with him again, as when I did so many years ago. His son came to visit a year later and was in the bed. And the next day he talked to me, he said, my dad came to me last night and I could see him. And he apologized and he asked my forgiveness. And I started to cry and accept this love. And he said, a weight's been lifted because I hated my dad. So an ancient hatred is turned into a present love by an act of forgiveness. I hear stuff like that. I help people move through their blocks. Very important. I have gone into the other side and help people navigate in that, I don't know what to call it. I call it the etheric realm the astral realm, I'm just not sure. But people get lost in there, especially when it's a traumatic death. That um, There's two people. Um, one was an 80-year-old lady who had a heart attack while she, she was in town. Fortunately, she was driving slow, ran into a telephone pole. She, she was an asystole when she got into the ER, so we ran a code, but we called it, stopped it. And as I started to walk, and the family was there by then, the minister, I stopped at the head of the bed, and I stopped, and I dissociated, and I went into that realm. It's a light gray realm. And I found her with her head down, crying. And she says, what happened? What happened? So I told her the truth, that you were in a car, you had a heart attack, you've died. And she said, I can't see my family and say goodbye. I said, well... Maybe you can. Let's ask. So we did. And, and I asked on her behalf, Divine, can this lady stay for just a little while to be with her family? She did. All of a sudden, she's in asystole. Her body is white, cold. She pinked right up. And the voice said she has three days. So we transferred her to the ICU and she was able to say goodbye to her family and tell them how much they loved each other. This is a family that was torn apart by all these family dynamics, and they all found forgiveness and love, and she quietly just closed her eyes on day three. And they felt the love and tenderness of it all. There's more people, but... Yeah. Stories like that, but in the interest of time, it's... That's, yes... You develop these abilities of the presence, you hear, you see, and then the divine says, will you help me? And I say, yes. So my new boss is God. <laughs> <laughs> and I help people in that manner. Mm -hmm. We think of in Western medicine that it's all about 
in our very materialistic society that it's all about the physical body, but you're really demonstrating that it goes beyond the physical body, not only to the mind and consciousness, but also to the spiritual realm and that we can receive guidance and support in greater ways than we typically are aware of. Exactly. And that's really the gist of a very big change in concepts that God speaks to me all day long. He's always with me. Are you willing to listen? And we're taught that we're a body, that we have to have a life, make money, get a car, get a job. And it's like, that's all true in this realm. But that's not really who you are. So my analogy is, your body is a car. And I'm, not to piss off the doctors, but or upset the doctors, but I'm a glorified auto mechanic. I change the tires, the air filters, change the brakes. What I have learned is, if you will imagine, you are a divine spirit. You are infinite God consciousness, infinite love. That's really who you are. You're the driver, and you get into the car, and you give that car life. And the car says, I feel great. I think I'm going to go to the grocery store today. I think I need gas. Oh, I got a flat tire. You see, the car thinks it's alive, and we think the body is alive. It is in this realm. But when you go into the spiritual realm, the body is left behind. Your car runs down and breaks down. What do you do? You leave it, don't you? And they take it to a junkyard. That's it. What do you do? You walk around for a while and say, you know, I think I need another car. I'm going to try this car instead. And that's what you do. So you keep going through these cycles called karma, if you will, or reincarnation. It's just a recycling. And wouldn't you like to stop? And say, I want to remember who I truly am. And that is, I am the driver of this car. This is truly me, a thought of love in the mind of the divine. And now I'm going to go home and leave that body behind. I have the choice now to go home or recycle. And I think it's a lot of people, when they really understand that, they choose heaven. They choose peace. Now, while I'm here... I choose to bring that peace back with me and be in this life and let that peace emanate from my heart and radiate into this world to bring it peace. The love is so powerful, you can't help but say, I just want to give this away. I want every single person on this planet to feel this love because I know when they do, they're going to put their guns down. I know they're going to take care of each other. And we're all going to walk in divine peace and not human peace, which breaks and lets us down. The peace treaty only lasts so long, and then we're back at it again. That is a beautiful vision for all of us to be in peace. And how you are describing how you've been able to facilitate and help people and receive this amazing guidance from how you describe as God that it strikes me as very similar, if not the same, as many of these ancient traditions of shamanism, where the physician is also the spiritual guide, or really you seem to be describing yourself as perhaps a spiritual healer. That's the way I look at it, is if you have an illness... I don't look at the illness. How you got to the illness, I don't care. 
What I do care about is the illness is a thought in your mind. What's driving this? You have the power in your mind if you change your beliefs from fear-based beliefs to love-based beliefs and let that love come into you. You can heal or at least start on the path of healing. You might still need medical treatment. In my own case, um, I had three cancers. And I had colon cancer, I had kidney cancer, and testicular cancer. In all cases, the doctor said, you're going to need chemo and radiation, and these are really bad. So after these diagnoses of these cancers, I had a choice. And my choice was either love or fear. Most people choose fear, and they go down that track. I chose love. I chose to remember that I am a divine being, that I have the power within myself to let love flow and dissolve this darkness. So that's what happened in all three cases. Um, they, they were healed. They, I did have surgery. I did have the, the cancers cut out. But at that point, since I had chosen love, the voice told me, you're all set. You're healed. And I knew I was healed. So I didn't do any chemo. I didn't do any radiation. I didn't do any follow-up testing. I said, I'm good. I'm out of here. And I knew once I chose love, I know, and you will know that you are healed. And the more you accept that, the faster you heal. You may yet need some medical treatment, some pills or chemo, but your whole perception changes is to one of, I am going to be fine. A positive expectation can work wonders. You bring joy and love into it, not fear and upset and, oh my God, I'm going to die. Well, what if you weren't going to die? What if I told you you can make a choice and I'll, I'll help you either way? We can do chemo, radiation, surgery, all that stuff and work with you. Or you can say, I'm going to start healing. So, and I can give you lots of examples in my own personal life, but that's sort of the gist of it is to take back your power. We, we tend to give our power away to the medical society when we have a problem. And I'm saying, give it back, bring it back into you, and you can start to heal yourself. You do that with love by saying, I am love, and I'm going to extend love into this. And if I need chemo, I'm going to have fun with it. And then have a little party. I'm going to, I've had patients that would bring in a cupcake and put a candle on it and say, okay, I'm going to enjoy this cupcake and my chemo. You see, you bring happiness to this. You don't let it take you down and control you and like, oh, I'm going to get chemo. It's really awful. And many times I wouldn't tell people what was wrong with me, certainly with the kidney cancer and the testicular cancer. I didn't tell anybody, not even my wife. And one day I'm going to the hospital. See, I don't want to pick up negative energy. I said, I, I have to go to the hospital for a few days. <laughs> she said, why? Ah, uh, I got kidney cancer. Okay, when were you going to tell me? <laughs> mm -hmm. But I keep it very private. You see, I don't want somebody's fear to be projected onto me. So I feel great. I feel great. Yeah, that's... Fantastic. And 
In your book, you also describe about how when you were working with patients, that sometimes when they would have, when you would diagnose them with something, that you described how you would come back and say to them, oh, your condition is actually not as bad or it's much, it's much better than I originally thought and you're going to be just fine. And so I really love how you bring that positivity into working with your, your people, your clients, your patients. I find that um, levity, humor is very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. This man came in and he was in a bad car accident, banged up and everybody's running around. And I just walked up to him and I, I looked at him. I said, Oh, they told me you're really in a bad car accident. I said, this isn't bad at all. I said, I can, we can, we can fix this and you'll, you'll be in the hospital for a few days, but then you'll go home. Really? Yep. You're fine. I've seen a lot worse. So then they relax. Now I can work with them. And every time I walk in, I say, yeah, I got the test back. These tests are all normal. There's one little fracture here. We're going to deal with that. Always bringing in peace, always giving power back to the patient. We're not taught that in medicine. We're taught that we're the doctor and all that soap opera stuff. We're on a soapbox. And I, I don't do that. I treat you like family, like friend. And it's like, and when you think about it, we can do so much in medicine. And if we, if we put it with a positive attitude and I'm relaxed, my patient relaxes. The medicines work better. It's, it's just a new way of thinking. And we're, we're starting in medicine to learn that, to bring in compassion and letting patients have power and learning to be comfortable in working with somebody. Yeah. Well, a lot of science has shown that thoughts and beliefs greatly impact a person's health, wellness, and their recovery. Absolutely. Another story, if you don't mind, this this right shoulder, many months ago, I was lifting weights and I completely broke it. Just, that was it. And I saw the surgeon. He said, Rod, this is such a bad tear. He says, I don't think I can fix this. And I said, well, why don't you just try? Well, you know, I, I you, you can't make it any worse. And he said, well, okay. He said, yeah, I think I'll try. Immediately, I blessed him with love and asked for divine guidance to take care of him. And I chose to see my shoulder as healed. So this is a three-hour surgery. At 55 minutes, he was closed. Wow. I'm waking up, and he's talking to me. He says, I can't believe this. That was the easiest surgery that I've ever done. I mean, the tear was four inches where you dislocated. He said, I put a stitch in. It pulled right back perfectly. 55 minutes. He was very happy. So I see him in follow-up. And when I left the hospital, he said, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to be a year before you can really use that arm again. And by the way, it's extremely painful. Immediately, I denied that thought and I pushed it back. I said, I don't accept that. My intention is to be healed and this is going to heal beautifully. And I'm going to ask the divine love and energy to help me. So just, I'm, I'm now six weeks out and I saw my friend, the doctor, and he said, well, how are you doing, Rod? I said, I'm doing great. 
He said, well, let's see. I said, well, yeah, I can do this. You said I couldn't do this. He said, that's not possible. That is not, I sat down. He said, that's not possible. He said, how much narcotics are you taking? I said, I didn't take any because I decided not to have pain. I don't like pain and I don't like narcotics. So I changed my thinking that I'm already healed and I'm seeing myself as past the therapy. And he was amazed at this. He's like, that can't be. So I'm six weeks out. Wow. What an inspiration you are. Thank you. But I want to give that to all the people that, that we're talking to is, huh, we can start to change our thinking and we can start to heal our life. And it doesn't matter if it's a money issue, a relationship, it's an upset. And we're going to start to choose love and remove the blocks of fear. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest to those who are listening, who are really having a tough time in life? There's a lot of... um there's global warming going on. There's a, there are wars going on. Of course, there's a lot of good things happening as well. And like you have so, uh, succinctly illustrated for us today that we can be empowered with how we go forward in our lives. What can you suggest to these people to be able to choose and really feel love and heal their fear? There are several things. First, the most important thing is stop thinking. Stop reading the news, stop looking at all of this as a problem and disconnect, learn to, to disconnect a little bit. Um, when you do that, that allows love to flow. So I look at, at the war in Russia and the Ukraine and both sides are like little children fighting. And what they're really doing is asking for love. And the be people that become gunmen and shoot in grocery stores submarines that get cracked up and broken and whatever the situation is learn to be at peace so i stop thinking about it i stop listening to people and i create a space for god and i do that by just relaxing and learning to trust just get quiet and you the second thing is you start to learn to listen and just what does god have to say if this is really important to you You'll make time for it. And then the third thing is just to rest. Start to rest and know that the divine is going to take care of everything. I have complete faith in that. And I hear global warming and I see wars and this and that. And I always say, I choose peace instead of this. I choose to relax and I'm going to step back and let the, the divine walk in front of me. It takes a lot of practice and Meditation is a big help, walking in nature, being in music, lots of different ways of doing this. But if you will, imagine you're watching a movie, a three-dimensional movie, Star Wars, for example. And um, you're in the audience, and you think you're in the movie, but you're not. You're just a, a viewer watching the movie, and you look up above, you see the projector, and then you see the film, for at least in... In elementary school, they have the big reels with the film. And you, you realize it's all a movie, and you can learn to disconnect and say, I choose peace. And I look at the insanity of, of the world. This is hell. And 
I can choose peace. So what I like to do is to do a, um, a healing meditation where I just get really quiet and I just let love flow from the top up my heart into, and encircles the world in love and light. Because guess what? What you give as love to the world is what's given back to you. As you give, so shall you receive. So I look at Putin and I say, he needs love. That's a tall order, but that's what he needs. And you say, wait a second, he's a five-year-old child having temper tantrum. He's in an adult body, but that's not really what's going on. Are you really going to scold and mistreat a five-year-old who's having can't understand? No, you're going to hold him and love him. Putin is crying for love. I'm going to love him. I'm going to love the Ukrainians. I'm going to love the people that have been tornadoes. I'm going to love the people who have been shot and hurt. It's all cries for loves in different languages. I have learned to disconnect from the movie, walk out of the theater into the sunlight, and say, let's bring love and light to this darkness. That's, that's how you do it. And you start with baby steps because we've had so much training in negativity and fighting. It's a lot to unlearn. Inviting the divine in, whatever you want to call it, Buddha, um, Christ, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. You just allow love to come in and it will teach you and help you to heal these problems. Your perception is going to change and you're going to feel tremendous liberation. And you're going to go, I like this. <laughs> I live in peace. So, but stop thinking is the first thing and then go from there. Or at least slow the thoughts down, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's a proportion. It's practice. A little bit of willingness, a little bit of love. It starts to grow. Because you're watering love and not fear. The choice is always very simple, love or fear. And fear has thousands of different um, forms, whereas love is just one. So it gets real easy. And the nice thing about this test is if you chose fear, you learn, oh, I made a mistake. I get to take the test again, and I can choose love this time. And boy, doesn't that change everything. Because now you're dealing with a new perception and a new way of looking at the world. I am looking at myself with the eyes of love. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at everybody with, with the eyes of love. Guess what? They start to heal. They start to experience miracles and blessings. It's one by one we're going to do this. And I know there's a lot of people out there helping the whole sonship, if you will, all of us to get higher in our vibration. Whether a person identifies as being religious or spiritual, they can also move forward in positivity and love. Absolutely. I, I love going to church. Um, I love a choir. I like the organ, good music. I love a good sermon. In Catholicism, I didn't care for the negativity and using the rosary and putting money in, I had to buy my way. No, this is an individual choice. Right now where you're sitting is holy ground. You are a divine presence and say, 
right now I put my hands on my heart. I can love myself and I can feel the divine. Do you, do you have to go to church? No. Do you have to read A Course in Miracles? No. But you do need to get quiet and allow love to flow. Well, I can do that. Can you, can you sit for five minutes in the morning and just say, I'm just going to be love and I'm going to love myself. Then I'm going to go on with my day. So I think the, the, the churches and religions served a very good purpose. It got corrupted along the way. Many institutions do. Medicine does. And, um, we need to say, well, we got to fix that, but let's keep the good. Let's not throw it all out. So if reading the Bible and going to church is your, your pathway, by all means, go on it. But realize you've got a divine partner helping you. What does he have to say? You got to make time to listen. On that note about medicine becoming corrupt, what have your colleagues said about your experiences with the spiritual and the divine and your psychic abilities? Yeah. I, I didn't tell anybody about this. Um, everybody said, boy, you're, you're really smart. And in my mind, I would say, no, I, I know how to listen. I never told anybody these stories. When I do lectures, sometimes the physicians will come up and say, can I talk to you for a minute? I've had these experiences. What does that mean? Am I going crazy? Am I starting to hallucinate? Am I losing it? And I said, no, you're starting to let go and wake up. This process called enlightenment is gradual step by step. And you're developing spiritual senses that allow you to hear and see and, and connect. So it's a natural process we're all going to go through. In the medical profession, we are just starting to touch on neuroplasticity and we want to be able to test and check this out, check that out. Now we find this subject of spirituality. How does that come into it? So Rene Descartes, back in the 1500s, separated mind and body, God from the body. And now we're starting to reconnect. And we're starting to hear more and more lectures on spirituality. And people in the audience, at one lecture, the it was in Harvard, and we were talking about this. They said, well, how many of you have had miracles? And like a lot of hands went up. And they said, how many of you have published it or told your friends? Wow. Nope. And it, it was surprising. It was almost 25%. And it was interesting because you watched the reaction of, okay, I put my hand up. And the guy next to me has not had these experiences. He looks at me like, that you're, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I think I'm going to move. There's still a lot of resistance to this idea, but it's becoming more and more acceptable, more and more mainstream because people like me, other doctors are starting to speak. I had a near-death experience. I'm going to talk about it. You see, so now it's like baby steps, and there's going to be more and more of these um, episodes and more and more of spirituality coming into medicine. It's just not, we were not taught that. We were not taught how to help someone leave this world. Death means a failure on your part. Okay. <laughs> 
No. The real answer is, can I make this transition very peaceful and smooth? You're going to lay down this body, very dense energy, very low vibration, and you're going to go to very high vibration and pure love. But we're not taught how to do that. We're taught, if you've seen this, you're crazy. So, and that's been the way of medicine for all the pioneers. It's it pushed away first, and then eventually, I'd love to see medicine in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So you you talked earlier about shamanism, and yeah, that that's a lot of what I'm doing is that technique of there's more to life than just this body. How can we help you to align your thinking with the divine being that you truly are? And the more in line you get, the closer you get, and pretty soon, I can't tell where Emmy is and God is. All I see is love. And you walk in love. You're protected. And you're going, it's so easy now. You don't have to do this alone. All This life is is hard enough. You don't have to do it alone. With the advancements in medicine, there have been more life-sustaining measures that you as physicians can take, and therefore people are having more experiences such as having a near death where, you know, like you mentioned with some of your stories, a person flatlines, but then they come back to life. And these can be great examples of how we are more than just our bodies, that our consciousness does continue on in the afterlife. There are times that there are people who question that these phenomena of a near-death experience or shared-death experience can simply be because of a hallucination or from a medicine. So you as a physician, how do you respond to that? The way I look at it, it's like going to sleep. And there are several stages of sleep. The deepest is delta. Your body is paralyzed. You're barely alive. You're barely breathing. Now, in near-death experience, in my experiences, my mind didn't go to sleep. I stayed awake. And when you do that, you, you float. Um, so however you got there, was it drugs? Um, was it illness? Does it matter? You got there. And you had this experience of knowing, of waking up. Your conscious mind stayed awake. Your body mind, your human mind stayed asleep. It went to sleep. We, we had a lady, um, who had a heart attack. Uh, I think she's like 40 years old on the mountains here hiking and we got her back. And she was very angry and said, why did you bring me back? Why did you? It was so beautiful. I was so happy. And now I'm in this body stuck again. Why did you bring me back? Well, that's my job. But people, when they have these experiences, these transitions, um, or they touch spirituality, um, they're always in a very quiet state. The mind, the act of thinking, the monkey chatter has been totally suppressed. However you get there, a stroke, um, medicines, it doesn't matter to me. What matters is you had the experience and you touched the divine. And it goes back to um, the story of the orange. 
they got to taste the orange, and now they know. And whether the orange is brought to them on a silver platter or on a donkey, or I walk them and say, here, how you got there, to me, doesn't matter. What matters is afterwards what you did with it, how you experience it. Now, the hardcore scientists say, I need to measure this, analyze it, figure it out. You can't do it. You, you can't, because once you cross into, into spirit, you become one with the divine. There is no more body. There is no more ego. You are pure love. There is no time. There's no space. It's all gone. You're unlimited. Your mind is bigger than the Milky Way. For people who have a limited mindset, they can't understand it. It's truly oil and water. It's just until, unless... They really want to come see me in the ER. I'll give them a shot and I'll stop their heart. And maybe they can have a near-death experience and go, now I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Rod, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today. Are there any final thoughts you have on your psychic and spiritual stories as a doctor? I would say to everyone, you are all mystics. You all have this capability. It was taken away from you, and you think you can't do it. But the truth is, once you learn to relax and let go and rest and trust, you're going to awaken these spiritual gifts, and you're going to find that you can start to heal your life and heal your mind, and that you can walk in peace. Then what's going to happen is you're going to turn around and give it to your brother behind you, and you're going to be a benediction to this world. So you can all do this. I'm not special. It's just practice. It's just love. Letting love flow. Very beautiful. Thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you for everything you've shared with us. And I hope we can have more conversations in the future. Oh, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. I wish everyone well. My blessings of peace to you all. Thank you. Thank you for being with us, Rod. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? On June 1st, we've just released issue number two of the New Thinking Aloud quarterly magazine. You can download a free copy at the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website, newthinkingaloud.org.